are men supposed to wear pajamas featuring a cartoon character by the name of Deputy Dog? This is episode 7 of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprague. And I'm Jess Geyer. And this week we watched The Waterboy, 1998 film, sports comedy, the second sports comedy. I think generally kind of well-liked, more so than most. Well, we watched it today, Alex, because this is a podcast about watching all 60 now Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler adjacent movies in a row every day. This is the hell that you've brought me into. Not the hell because Adam Sandler movies are bad, necessarily, but the the hell of podcast editing. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of work, probably more work than we really expected. Also, a lot of these movies have a little more to talk about than I really expected, in all honesty. And this one, I don't think we have any shortage of things to talk about. Before we get into the movie... Why don't you tell me about the sand layer for this movie? This is a three-star sand layer film. As everyone knows, my patent-pending sand layer <laughs> film star classification. <laughs> it's the Dewey Decimal System for Adam Sandler movies. And a three-star means it's important because it was written by Tim Hurley, um, who writes most of his movies, and it was written by Adam Sandler. It stars Adam Sandler. And the production company, I, I actually don't know if it's a Happy Madison production. It is not. I checked. Well, I I watched the credits. <laughs> I believe that's because the Happy Madison production company uh, has not yet been formed because they don't have enough money. Um, and this movie makes a shit ton of money. It does. Tell me about the money that it made and also about its, um, its Rotten Tomato scores and Metacritic scores. So... On a budget of about $23 million, this movie goes on to gross $161 million. Oh, sorry. Worldwide, $185 million. And uh, that was back when like VHS and DVD sales were huge, so I'm sure they made more. Oh, yeah. And do you want to take a guess at what the Rotten Tomatoes score is for this movie? It's got to be like, for audience liking it, it's probably in the 60s range, maybe 50s range. It is a 71 for audience. And a 35 from critics. I, okay, that's all right. I know what people like. That's fine. For me, this is my least favorite movie, with the exception of Going Overboard, which at this point doesn't even count. Yeah, it's not even really a movie, huh? <laughs> um, This one's just my least favorite movie, which is funny because I think that it does have a lot for me to talk about in the true love that I have with um, overanalyzing Adam Sandler films now. Yeah, I think uh, part of the problem for me in this movie is uh, I think the setting set it up for stuff that I'm not really too interested in. Um, college football's whatever. I made a lot of money off it back when I worked at a college bar. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the system of it, and I'm not really a huge fan of the idea that college football is an overall good thing, um, and I wish they had had a bit of that into the movie. Um, it's also, there is funny parts, but I don't think it's overall that funny a movie. How many times did you laugh? 19. Okay. That's more than I expected. Yeah, most of them are, I laugh when people get hit by stuff, and he tackles a lot of people. <laughs> so that got me. Um and Farmer Fran, every scene he's in, I laughed. And neither of us had seen this movie before. Or at too. least not. Not all the way, if, at least. If I saw it, I was six, and that doesn't count. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason I found it less funny is because I'm not saying Adam Sandler plays the straight man in this movie, but he kind of plays the straight man who everyone around him is being kind of ridiculous, and he's pretty normal comparatively. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And I he doesn't do a lot of necessarily super funny stuff. Yeah, he, he he tells one joke in the entire movie and they mention the fact that he told a joke. His shtick seems to be in this movie just the affect and voice, which mm -hmm. leans on the ableist side, which we'll talk about later. Which yeah, I I, I have a lot to talk about for that. It's less infantilized and more mm -hmm. 
like he's trying to play someone with an intellectual disability. Yeah. Um, and that is a theme that is heavily uh, relied upon in the movie. Yes. Is the uh, how people with intellectual disabilities are kind of portrayed. Yeah. And how are they used, which is a very bad way to say it, but it is what they are trying to say, I think. I think so. Well, if you are, for some reason, jumping into this podcast right now on the Waterboy episode, this isn't just a podcast where we watch Adam Sandler films and talk about how bad or good they are. We, we do some pretty deep dives into the themes, and surprisingly, every single movie has had, um, <laughs> it's had, we'll say that it has had something in common. Okay. Uh, I, I know you want to start talking about heteronormative ideas. So let's recap the movie real quick first. Oh, this one isn't about heteronormativity. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> this one's... Let's recap the plot. So Robbie Boucher... Bobby Boucher is what he's called in the entire movie, though. His name is Robbie, but they definitely call him Bobby 100% of the time. They call him Bobby, but there's a Robbie in a different movie. In the last movie, his name was Robbie. It's confusing. Yeah. Also, his father's name is Roberto. Bobby Boucher lives in Louisiana, and he is the water boy for the University of Louisiana Cougars. And he is not treated well at all by the team. Despite the fact that he is very good at his job. He has this whole setup. He is very passionate about water. Uh, he has a stutter. Uh, and as I mentioned before, he might have some sort of intellectual disability. And he's bullied relentlessly by the football players. And despite being the water boy for 18 years, he's fired by Coach Red Beaulieu. I, I, all of these names are Cajun names. Yeah, that's going to annoy you, huh? Is Yeah, I might sound very pretentious saying some of these names. What does uh, the coach's last name mean? Uh, beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, wait, like, so like, good place or happy place? Yeah, Bo means handsome or beautiful. And Leo means like, location, like a place. Just making, making a little connection in my head, thinking about it. Huh. Anyway, Coach Red is played by... Uh, Jerry Reed, a popular country singer. Oh, yeah. interesting. <laughs> I want to point out, I didn't know that. I had to look it up. He has a song called You Have the Gold Mine, I Have the Long Shaft. That's really funny. <laughs> That's the best country song I've ever heard. That's like Shakespearean level sex joke there. <laughs> and that was not sarcasm. Shakespeare has a lot of penis jokes. Yeah, he's a, he's a wang boy. Coach Red fires Bobby because he is, quote, distracting the players, even though it's the players who are going out of their way to torment him. Yeah, and they're like, they're abusing him. Bobby even, in fact, asked them to stop wasting water and just rough him up because it would upset him less. And then they just mess with him more. Coach Red, I should also mention, has a green notebook that's full of all of his magic plays. Um, Bobby lives with his mom in a shack in the middle of the bayou with a donkey named Steve. And she is extremely overprotective and sheltering. Um, she's played by Kathy Bates. Um, she wants him to stay home. She's actually happy that he lost his job as a hydration engineer or whatever he calls himself, because that means he gets to stay home. And mm -hmm. he believes everything that she says, including that, um, including how his dad was in the Peace Corps and died of dehydration in the Sahara Desert. Which is uh, why he has an obsession with water. It's just, it's laid out very early. He is worried about people being hydrated because in his mind, his father died of dehydration and he doesn't want that to happen to other people. It is uh, also known as like... PTSD? I guess, yeah, it is PTSD. There's a form of PTSD he has with water. She also calls everything the devil. When Bobby mentions that he's a Virgo, he asks who told him that and he mentions Vicky Valancourt who was kind of his crush when he was a kid. And she says little girls are the... Well, there's a flashback scene where she called little girls the devil and said that she doesn't want him hanging out with little girls. That was when he was a little boy. I do want to point out, though, you said it was his crush when he was a kid. In this movie, he is canonically 31, and it seems more like she was recently in jail, and that's the only reason she wasn't around. I think she has been a very present... In fact, probably the only person he's talked to his entire life, basically. I think that's true. Well, despite being fired, being a water boy is Bobby's passion. So he goes to South Central Louisiana State University, uh, home of the Mud Dogs. And he asks football coach 
coach Klein, played by Henry Winkler, to be their new water boy. Uh, the team is awful. The Mud Dogs are absolutely terrible. They have a 40-game lose streak, and they can't afford to pay him. But Bobby says that's okay because the water, he sees the water bucket where the players have been drinking from, and he's like so flabbergasted that he cannot stand to see people being served that gross water. So he's going to do it for free. Uh, the team, it's cheerleaders, it's coaches, they're all bad. Um, communication seems to be a big problem. I, I want to say how they're individually bad, because I think that's interesting too. The cheerleaders are drunk on the side of the field, not cheerleading. And that's shown to be kind of just what they do throughout the movie. The other coaches, Farmer Fran. Fran just mean French, right? Francis is like a word that means like from France, but I mean, it's a name. Okay. Oh, so Francis means from France. Something like that. I just have a thing with names later, and I think that's a clue that we're supposed to pay attention to names. Farmer French, let's call him, Farmer Fran, cannot speak in a way that's intelligible. He talks in a southern drawl so intense that no one can hear it. Every football player is rude and mean and angry. Oh, yeah. Including one played by Jonathan Loughran, who plays like a sling blade type guy, like has the same accent. I don't think he's playing a Sling Blade type guy. I think he is specifically playing Sling Blade. And also one played by Peter Dante. He plays the quarterback, Guy Grenouille. What's Grenouille mean? It means frog. Wait, so is his name Guy Frog? His name's Guy Frog. Yeah, but in, in the credits, Guy is spelled G-E-E. And frog, by the way, I think it's like an insult for a French person, yeah. Um, I think it's specifically also a Cajun insult, an insult for Cajun people because they eat frog legs also. Peter Dante's character, Guy, plays the quarterback and he is the worst person on the new team um, saying ableist stuff. He makes fun of Bobby Stutter all the time, calls him the R word. It's just bad. Specifically gets the team to harass him physically. Yeah, so when Guy starts making fun of Bobby, Bobby kind of has this flashback where he was going to hit, when he was a child, he was going to hit one of the Cougars football players, but Coach Red told him no because these are you know, well-oiled athletic machines. So he doesn't, but Coach Klein tells him to stick up for himself. So Bobby tackles Guy, and clearly he has talent in football. So the coach tells Bobby that he wants him to play for his team. And the problem is that Mama doesn't want Bobby playing football, or as she calls it, foosball. And when Coach Klein goes over to their shack to try to convince her that Bobby should be able to play, she still says no, but Coach Klein lets Bobby in on a little secret. You could probably keep football a secret from your mama. He did that with a tattoo on his ass. Yeah, of Roy Orbison, which I tried to have meaning on and I couldn't do it. I think it's just a throwaway joke. One thing I did want to point out in the scene is, did you notice what they were eating? They were eating a giant snake. With an apple in its mouth. Oh. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, It's kind of a symbolism for knowledge Um, and the Bible. The mother character is supposed to be very religious. Mm -hmm. Whether or not she understands religion is one thing. And she specifically doesn't want Bible Bobby to go to college and knowledge is something she basically forbids him to do. In fact, she actively teaches him things that are incorrect. Yeah, when he because he's a curious person. When he asks questions, she will lie to him. Like when she this comes up late in a later scene, but when he asked when did Benjamin Franklin invent electricity or discover electricity or whatever, she says, Ben Franklin is the devil. I invented electricity. Actively teaches him. Yeah, just a lie. Yeah, just lies. Well, Bobby does take Coach Klein's advice and he plays football with the mud dogs and he learns to tackle people by picturing the people who are mean to him and he takes his anger out on them and he does great with this. He also starts taking college classes and he is shocked to learn that some of the things that his mama told him aren't true, like why alligators are mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not because they have so many teeth, but no toothbrush. It is in fact due to a part that has aggression in it. Something like that. I did find it interesting that they were talking about the brain and aggression within this uh, movie. And also where happiness comes from in the brain. He could have gone to any class and they decided to do it on that. It's because the view was nice, they said. Well, that's why Bobby takes uh, the classes because it has a view of the fountain and he likes seeing running water. But uh, I didn't even get that it was water. Yeah, it was, 
<laughs> you just wanted to look at the fountain during class. Anyway, uh, they had their first football game with Bobby on the team, but they lose despite Bobby's best efforts. He actually does do a lot of tackling in that in that scene, but I, for, I forget exactly what happens, but, but they blame the loss on Bobby. He makes someone fumble, and then he doesn't understand the rules of the game. Yeah. So he throws the ball to the guy who was supposed to catch it on the other team. But that's okay. He'll get better. Coach Klein believes in him. Coach Klein never gets down on him this entire movie, which I think is cute and nice. Uh, his former crush, Vicky Valancourt, who we mentioned before, played by Firuza Balk, shows up. She is fixing his tractor that he drives around in, and she has just been released from prison. Never says for what. And No, uh, well, I, I want to say, you said uh, she was repairing his lawnmower. She, yeah, she was just making it better, which I believe is a reference that I'll talk about later. He invites her to a barbecue at his house with Mama. But at the barbecue, Vicky and Mama are at each other's throats, especially because Vicky is an astrologist. And according to Mama, that's the devil. So Mama prohibits Bobby from ever seeing her again. And Bobby kind of agrees with that because he goes along with whatever his Mama says. Uh, there's a scene I like in this a lot when uh, Vicky mentions something about astrology. She says uh, something like that could happen to anyone. It's weird that they'd put that in. And he says very discreet, like clearly, like maybe they only put that into astrology because having vague answers makes people believe it because none of it is true. It's like kind of supposed to be a joke, but just also an intelligent thing he's saying. And thematic, which we'll talk about later too. So the Mud Dogs win their first game after a 41 loss streak. And there's a big party where they all celebrate Bobby basically because he's the one who's helped them win. Girls hit on him during this party. People treat him nice, like the Sling Blade character. And after this, Robbie's on a Bobby's on a winning streak. He's doing well in college, and he keeps winning football games. He meets up with Vicky again, and he gives her some special blessed water from the North Pole that's always supposed to be cold. And she kisses him and tries to have sex with him, but he tells her no because his mama is still home. And she gets mad about this and leaves and says that he's not even a real man. Yeah, ain't even a real man. The Mud Dogs win streak continues and they're going to face off against the Cougars in the Bourbon Bowl. And at the big party before the game, like the bonfire before the game. Yeah, whatever the spirit thing is at this local college. Bobby thanks everybody for being his friend and they all celebrate him. But the Cougars show up in their big bus. And even though Vicky threatens to kill one of the football players, threatens to cut his head off, Coach Red shows everyone that Bobby's high school transcripts were faked and the NCAA has disqualified him from playing in the game. And everyone immediately turns, the the bonfire goes from a celebration of Bobby to everyone being upset at him and they leave him behind. Turns out that Coach Klein was the one who faked the transcripts. Uh, he didn't stick up for Bobby because he was afraid of Coach Red. There's a flashback where we learned that the green notebook that Coach Red had was Coach Klein's actually, and Red threatened him to get it. And now Coach Klein is afraid and has some trauma um, and, and just melts down and has panic attacks whenever he sees Coach Red. He, he also seemingly has panic attacks whenever physically uh, confronted. Yes. That, that seems to be the general idea behind it. Ha he has a mental block when it comes to writing new football plays. But he tells Bobby that he can play in the Bourbon Bowl if he passes the Louisiana high school equivalent exam. And Bobby does this with a 97%. Yeah, it wasn't a problem at all for him, apparently. Yeah, it was easy. It was the 300 question multiple choice test for three hours. And he does really super well. But before he can celebrate, he learns that his mama is sick and in the hospital. So he goes to her bedside. Now, we know that she's faking it during the scene because she keeps opening her eyes and it's very clear that she's just trying to get attention and, and prevent Bobby from playing in the football game. I didn't mention that she found out that he was actually playing football in a previous scene and he told her that he was going to keep playing football even if she didn't like it because she thinks everything's the devil. And Bobby in this scene, he says that his mom is the only one who didn't abandon him when they thought he had cheated. So, Which is specifically not true. Vicky is outside the room while she's uh, he's taking the test, holding up signs of encouragement, which say, want me to kill them all? Yes, Vicky has actually been by his side this entire time, too. But he only sees his mama as, his, as being his support. So Vicky gathers everyone who's basically everyone who's at the bonfire before 
to explain what happened with Bobby and to come bring everyone to come apologize. Bobby thanks them, but he says that he has to stick with his mama. And even though Vicky says that his mom would be proud of him and the man that he's become, Bobby stays with his mom. But of course, his mama is not unconscious and she overhears this conversation and she feels bad. She has a change of heart. And the next morning, she shows him a photo album and tells him the truth about his dad, that he left her for another woman in New Orleans. And she tells Bobby that it's okay to play football. So they speed over to the game as fast as possible in an airboat that Vicky has rigged up. So they're Mm -hmm. all going to the football game. In the meantime, the Mud Dogs are getting absolutely stomped by the Cougars. And at halftime, they sit in the locker room and Coach Klein is like hiding in a locker, basically. Yeah, his face is obscured by a jersey. Yeah, I really like how that scene is framed. Like he's Henry Winkler makes himself seem physically small and sniveling. And all of the other players reminisce about the funny things Bobby has done on the field. And Bobby shows up and he is going to help them win the game, of course. Um, So with Bobby back and with Coach Klein learning how to not be afraid of red anymore, they're able to pull a comeback. And when Bobby passes out from dehydration, Vicky uses the blessed water to revive him. Um, So everyone is working together as a team. Even Mama is giving the cheerleaders coffee to sober them up. And uh, they win the football game when Bobby throws the ball to Gee and Gee scores a touchdown. That's not Bobby's job as a defensive lineman. Coach Klein was finally able to get past his mental block and come up with another play. So in the end, when everyone's like cheering him, he says that he loves Vicky. And when the announcer, I guess the sportscaster asks if there's anything he wants to say, he says he loves his mama. And in the end, he marries Vicky and his dad shows up briefly. Uh, His dad saw him and saw that he has NFL prospects. But Bobby says that he's going to stay in college. And his mom tackles his dad and his dad's just passed out for the rest of the scene or maybe even dead. Who knows? But yeah, in the end, Vicky and he go off to have sex with his mama's blessing. The end. So this movie's about football? It, it It's a little bit about football. No, it's not. It's about homosexuality and religion. It's about being in the closet. Who are we kidding? It's also a little bit about how society kind of uh, enforces and develops mental illness in others. And I have a hot take I want to start talking about. Go for it. Just straight off the bat. If I told you this movie for the first two acts is a horror movie, what would you say? I would say, is it only because of Kathy Bates? No, it's not only because of Kathy Bates, who's known for misery the movie where she holds someone hostage in her house. It's also because Henry Winkler's The Principal in Scream and Feruza Balk, her most famous movie at this point, was in The Craft, where she played a witch. And they point out at one point in this movie that she knows the score of the football game before it happens. And let's talk about a few of the other references I noticed. All right, so there's Girls Are the Devil, themes about religion, normally present in a lot of movies. Uh Uh-huh. The unintelligible farmer is a, another trope from horror films. <laughs> the, you're all gonna die up there. That that type of thing. Uh-huh. He's another trope. And then, uh, can you remind me what they showed Coach Klein's mental breakdown to look like? The scene after he explains what happens with Red. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, it's this black and white scene. And in the end, he's talking on the phone to his grandma about his the cord is cut. And he's wearing Mm -hmm. high heels, so it's a psycho reference. Yes. They make a bunch of reference to other horror films. And also, I would say the the Spirit Day thing where the crowd turns on them and they're all holding tiki torches and stuff could be construed as a Frankenstein reference. That is so interesting that I didn't catch that. I, I And I love horror movies. You know, this is not the first horror movie reference that's been made. In fact, in the last movie... One of the kids is just dressed up like Freddy Krueger. So I can't believe that I didn't notice any of those classic movie references, except for Kathy Bates. I asked at the beginning of this film of you, because I had thought I had known this before, Bobby Boucher in French would be Bobby Butcher. And in another genre, this could be seen as the beginning of a horror movie where this person with incredible strength sourced from rage and the things that happened to him 
are being put out to the people around him as recompense for like all the wrongdoing he had. And if in this movie the weird uh the religious mother doesn't change her mind, what do you think happens to Bobby the Butcher? You mean he becomes a monster? Yeah, he he doesn't use his violence for good on the sports field. He just starts fucking murdering people. Like he he could probably rip people's heads off. He's extremely strong. He's shown to be this basically unnatural superhuman person. Um, other trained athletes in the film are begging him not to hit him, saying like, "No, no, please." When he starts like whispering to himself, it's all horror film until the mom decides to let him go. That is so wow. Okay, yeah. I can definitely see that. So let's let's dive into why that might be then. Because horror movies tend to talk about a societal deficit. They I mean, that's what makes a horror movie tick. I think in this one, the societal deficit, a lot of it has to do with religion and this idea of uh, this idea of forbidden knowledge and forbidden behavior. Yeah, it's shown in the movie Bobby was homeschooled, but also he is so virginal. It's played for laughs. He doesn't know what Vicky Valancourt's talking about when they say like, we're gonna do it or I'm gonna make you into a man. Uh, He's confused by these things. And that's something that's pretty common in the horror trope for the the villains, along with the, the doting mother or the non-existent mother in Psycho. There was one thing that I think a lot of people thought was bad acting in this movie that I thought was amazing. And it was every time they let Bobby act on his own, be his own person and to not be uh, either being abused or other stuff, he loses his stutter and his accent completely. He talks intelligently and without any issue until whenever he brings his mother back up, he starts stuttering again because she has been the source of his abuse his entire life. I actually, until I thought about it, the fact that if the mom didn't turn cheek, it would have been like a horror movie ending. I I was pissed when she was allowed to be on the good side at the end. With With the amount, I understand maybe it's from a protection thing. But I find what she did to him and the fact that this man's 31 and like can barely live due to basically the abuse of a religious, overly religious household has done to him. It's just like, I think that's a a good reference of society's ills a lot of the time is how some people are taught religion. I think if you look at it from that angle, yes, I agree with you, but... I mean, I'll have a different angle that I'm going to look at it with religion later. I think it's funny how the movie is filmed. It's not actually filmed like a horror movie at all. There are only a couple scenes where it's actually dark. Most of the film is very brightly lit, actually. The only scenes that are filmed in the dark are when Henry Winkler comes over to the shack and they're having dinner. It's dark. When Vicky and Bobby are in Bobby's room, it's dark. And at the party, it's dark. Those are the only times. Yeah, I wish they had done more, actually, with the horror tropes. Because I I think there's too many for it to been just, you know, a throwaway reference. I also, they they have one character act like Sling Blade. And Sling Blade isn't a horror movie. I know that. But Sling Blade is a movie about a intellectually disabled person killing a sexual assaulter. It has horror elements to it. Yeah, it it is a film that could be horror if done in a different light. And that's kind of a lot of the, the point of the movie, I think. Or maybe that guy does a good sling blade and that's why they did it. Who knows? <laughs> I, I just, like I said, I wish they had done more with that. The football stuff supersedes it so much. But I think like you could tell the Waterboy story as the beginning of a serial killer story. You you definitely could. I think the the bigger theme of what the movie ends up being is that basically how you're nurtured is a lot of how you get to turn out as a person. I'm not saying everyone who comes from like a bad household turns out bad, but being constantly abused in re- real world, like being abused can make you stutter. That's that's why I think they have the stutters in the film is cuz he is being told like not to fight back in the beginning, never to speak his mind. He's told to like, you know, shut up basically and he is mentally abused. He has no friends. And we we didn't we didn't talk about the the friend that he gets on the football team, which I really liked. Because they have similar moms. Their their mom said the same thing once. And uh yeah, was it Lawrence Gilliard Jr. says like aren't all mamas the same? And then like Bobby's like, this guy's great. And then uh they share a helmet as a as a symbol of 
them uh, thinking alike. Er in an earlier scene, two of the people on the team shared a cup, one you put in your pants to protect your ding-dong cup. <laughs> I wonder if that's symbolism. But I know that's what you wanted to talk about for a bit. So now that we're done, this is a horror movie trope. What else is going on in this film? Yeah, let's talk about how this movie is an allegory for religion keeping people in the closet and, and keeping them from expressing their sexuality. Even if it's not necessarily, it is a movie about being queer. I mean, queer, the original meaning of the word meaning like strange. I use the word queer to describe my own sexual and gender identity because that's my label to choose for it. But it was a slur that was often used for people who were like Bobby. People who are a little weird. Also, of course, the, the umbrella term for the slur against gay people. So there's a lot of evidence here that points to a religious aspect. So let's talk about that first. You mentioned the thing that I hadn't noticed. I did notice a snake that they were eating, uh, but the snake with the apple in its mouth is clearly a reference to the Garden of Eden with the snake that tempted Eve and Eve ate the apple, the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And that represents this idea of transgression. And again, knowledge. Knowledge comes into play in the movie as well because Bobby goes to college. He learns things that his mother told him aren't true. And that's a direct parallel to religion. A lot of people grow up through high school being raised religiously. And when they go to college, they're exposed to so many new viewpoints and so many different people. And of course, like what they're learning in college, they question their religion and they question the ways that they were taught in general. Of course, Kathy Bates' character calls everything the devil. It's clear that she's supposed to represent this religious type person, especially with all the horror references. We can even start seeing her as a Carrie's mom type character, which by the way, that's how our podcast got its name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot the, about that Carrie reference. So obviously he really enjoys the the horror stuff because he made a whole joke about Carrie's mom. And as you mentioned also, Vicky, the love interest, is, you know, she she's a she's a she's the actress who was in the craft and she's an astrologist in the movie. So there's all of this thematic setting, this this table setting of of religion. To help your point, even though she is an astrologist, what she's good at, she's an extremely skilled mechanic throughout the entire movie, which is, you know, a male normally job. So then we get Bobby. Well, Bobby doesn't really know a lot about himself. He doesn't even know about his father. This whole thing that he set his identity up around is a lie. Well, he doesn't know that at the beginning, but he's extremely connected to it. I don't think that it's a coincidence either that it's water. Water has a huge symbolic presence in Christianity and I'm sure other Abrahamic religions too, but I just know that's it's a big thing for Christianity. I mean, it's, it's a lot of the, what, like cleansing and getting rid of sin and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's the disgusting water that makes Bobby feel like he has to help out this football team. And other people are disdainful of this. They spit in his water. They make fun of him. So despite Bobby's connection to this identity that his mother has set him up with, um, other people are disdainful toward that. But that's it's important to him. And he learns that he's good at football. But because this is something that his mother, if we're going to use her to represent religion, his organized religion... And his religious dogma tells him is wrong, but he's going to do it secretly because he's good at it and because he likes to do it and because it's helping him find a community. What was the thing he said about football? He wants to do it because he likes it and because he's good at it. And Anyway, he keeps it a secret. Um, this, this part of his identity that's new. And I'm going to use this to represent homosexuality. Although, of course, it could represent anything that goes against what your religious dogma teaches you. But I'm specifically going to use homosexuality because we've seen so much of this heteronormativity stuff. Although I was thinking about it on my walk today. The idea of being an underdog and the idea of not fitting in is an inherently queer story arc. It's just like where my brain goes. They do set up people who teach him how to play football as queer coded. Uh, there's a scene later when Vicky is gathering all the football players. Guy is in his house half naked with the sheriff. That, oh, that was Guy? I didn't even notice that. That was Guy, yeah. Farmer Fran has very prominently pierced nipples during the party. Um, and it, later, when they win, he plays with them on camera. There is the scene where he's at the party and two women hit on him 
and they ask him if he sees if he's seeing any girls and he says i see a lot of girls i see a lot of guys too he is oblivious to what that actually means cuz he doesn't know what it means to see somebody but there's that line where it hints at homosexuality so i, I mean these things automatically come to mind in my head plus you know religion that was a common way to criticize homosexuality was because this is what the bible says now at the end when when he's telling his mama that he still wants to do football, I found that quote. He says, I'm going to keep doing them both because they make me feel good. And then he comes back, he closes the door, and then he comes back and he says, and she showed me her boobies and I liked them too. So this is tied to sexuality and it's tied to kind of this manhood idea of him discovering this knowledge that his mother wants to keep him away from. But at the end, his mama decides to share knowledge and the thing that she has is a book. And at first I thought it was a Bible. It looks like an old Bible. Mm -hmm. It's a photo album, but it didn't need to be a photo album. She could have just as easily told a story, but I think the fact that it came from a book was very important. And she has this great quote here when she has told him everything that was going on. She says, I hid you away from the world, but I can't hide you anymore because everyone's seen how wonderful you are. So this idea that when you allow someone to be themselves, even if it goes against the way that they were raised, especially if it goes against that, you allow them to be their, themselves and it's beautiful and it's not something to be ashamed of. And I think that's inherently a, a queer story. And in the end, I see what Bobby says is a reconciliation between his sexuality and his religion. He confesses his love to Vicky but he also says he loves his mama. Mm. So if we're using Vicky to represent this this forbidden knowledge, this forbidden fruit, and his mama to represent religion, he he reconciles them and they're both there celebrating him at the end. And I, I think that's a it's a really interesting way to tell that story because like you said, you were upset that the mom wasn't made to made out to be a villain at the end. I liked it because it was showing how these two worlds can get along and when everybody is allowed to have all these different aspects of their being and their identity, it's a really good thing. It's a victory. And it also shows this idea that someone who is coming from a very religious dogmatic place can also learn and grow. And it's not something that is going to completely exile them from the world because they had some bigoted viewpoints. Now, yes, did she abuse him for 31 years? Yeah, but this is a movie. It's a comedy. <laughs> Depending on what she does in that scene, it turns into a horror movie. They're, those are the two. Those are the two outcomes of this. Yeah. And for credit towards your interpretation, there is a scene at the party um, at Lambda Phi Gamma where Bobby is talking to a girl and says, "I see a lot of girls and I see a lot of guys." Um, and she's into that idea and she asks if she, he's ever been with a girl and a guy at the same time the the next comment is just a joke but it's showing he a doesn't understand sexuality right now and also b has him clearly say that he is unsure or bisexual can, can i throw in something i learned in the past five minutes that really helps with my point of view yeah sure so i, I was looking at the references in Waterboy, and someone put down the scene where bobby's mom embarrasses him by telling vicky that he still wets the bed is taken nearly word for word from the scene in Schoolgirls in chains a horror film from 1973 <laughs> yeah i just all of the horror movie references that's so wild Sandler must be a big horror movie buff. Or one of the writers are. I, I think that's something to uh, try to figure out. Um, the person who played his dad at the very last scene is a guy named uh, Frank Corassi. And then Tim Hurley was another writer. Tim Hurley's been a writer for most of these films that have horror references. So I'm wondering if he's the common thread, basically, or if it'll be Adam Sandler. And I think we'll be able to figure that out later. Um, actually, now that I think about Frank Karassi also was the director of The Wang Singer. But let's let's start a track. Everyone remember, we're going to talk about who is super into horror out of these people. <laughs> so I want to also go back to Henry Winkler's character. I think it's funny that the Fonz is in this movie because they talked about the Fonz a lot in the last movie. Yes. The Fonz represents this hyper-masculine character, but they specifically use Henry Winkler as a character who has been emasculated in a way. 
he's he's afraid of Coach Red. He can't do his job. And it's football, which is this masculine sport, this perceived masculine sport. And in fact, Red has taken away the the source of his power in this, which is his ability to make plays. He took it away and then scared him um, and got him fired. And now he no longer has the, I guess, courage or the willpower to continue on as successfully. Well, in that scene where we get that flashback that's in black and white, I saw it. Well, Coach Red threatens violence against him, but I saw it as him threatening to out him. If we were going to use this homosexuality analogy. Huh. Threatening to out him. And it's at the end that he just learns that, I mean, just like with everybody else, being yourself and, and not being afraid of that. That's a, that's an interesting take, too. Um, I didn't think about that. But it, it does work, even if there's a kind of then immediately following it, not so great scene where they show him wearing a high heel, maybe to point that off. Mm-hmm. And then he does say something to Bobby, faked his transcript to get him on the team. And when... Bobby asked Klein why he did that. He says that you were my way out. Yeah. And then he said, the truth is I fled. I cried about the other stuff. I, I, I think there's a, a lot of evidence of that. And I think that's a, a good, good taking. Not to mention the homoeroticism of football in general, especially with the, the announcers. They constantly make very subtle homosexual references. They talk about like penetration and um, there, there are several lines that that are very subtle sexual references, and you can talk about, you can get into all sorts of fun Freudian stuff with any primarily predominantly male sport where there's a lot of physical contact. Yeah, honestly, I I can't not think about football in that way. I think it's partially due to uh, friends I have who refuse to talk about football in a non-sexually way. I don't want to say who I'm talking about because. You know, that's that's a weird thing to do on podcast. But I have a specific friend who played college football who refuses to talk about it in anything but a sexual tone because that's what football seemed like to him, apparently. The, the idea to me that football players don't know also, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Moving away, moving beyond the homosexuality and being the closet analogy, which I, I don't want it to seem like I'm forcing a queer lens onto everything. It's the lens I look through things with on account of myself. I mean, there's a scene in this movie where the guy says he likes guys and girls, and then another scene where a guy takes off his shirt to show his pierced nipples and starts twisting them. Like, I mean, yeah, it's it's just everywhere. directly after winning. Like, it's it's there. Whoa, wait, wait. The truth, Bobby. The that, remind me when when did Bobby uh, decide to start playing football? What did the coach do? <laughs> Henry Winkler pulled down his pants, showing both ass cheeks to show the tattoo on his bum. And I mean, I'll admit, that's how you show an ass tattoo, both cheeks out, unless you're in polite company, I guess. And then it's just one cheek. Yeah. One cheek, no crack. Yeah, the crack is the obscene part. (laughs) If you can guess what my ass tattoo says, you get a free episode. I want to make it very clear for our listening audience at home. Alex does have an ass tattoo. This is only tattoo. I don't need more than one. This one says it all. We're good. I forget about it sometimes and then I see it in the mirror and it scares me badly. I forget about it sometimes and I think that like, oh, there's something on you. And then I'm like, oh, I mean, there is, but. (laughs) (laughs) So moving beyond that. Yeah, I want to talk about what I think the final theme is. And that is how they treat student athletes how they treat people who might have intellectual disabilities, and how they use it for profit. And who is they? Coaches and the college systems and stuff to make money. Capitalist hierarchies. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I I thought you were actually asking. But I think there's something to be said that most of the football players we see in this movie are specifically not bright. Bobby is actually, since we actually get to follow him, shown to be quite intelligent. And they admit that he's smarter than the rest of them because they say that none of them would be able to pass that high school exam. Yeah. um, And there is an issue in pro sports and college sports of 
Well, there's a lot of issues. One is they should be paid in college. One is that they fake teaching a lot of students in a lot of schools in order to let them just play. One is that a lot of young athletic people are taken advantage of from a young age in order to get them ready to play football because at some point they will make millions and millions of dollars maybe. Now, the the line that shows this the most is when Coach Red tells young Bobby that this football player happens to be a finely tuned athletic machine. Calling them, calling football players a machine dehumanizes them and makes them essentially workhorses, which is something that, you know, it it happens in college sports. These college athletes are, they, they are taking advantage of their, they put their bodies on the line for something that they might not even ever get paid for, for the chance to have, to go to a good college or the slim chance to get onto a professional team. And that's not to mention the the amount of professional football players who end up with that concussive syndrome that completely ruins their lives. Yeah, um, there's like a large uptick in the NFL of people who commit suicide due to brain injuries. Mm-hmm. That's also true in boxing, I know. And it's it leads to disabilities and diseases like um parkinson's and and alzheimer's and and forms of dementia yeah and uh, in this movie they do mention the parts of the brain they also mention different injuries to players specifically um normally after bobby hits them the first time bobby hits someone the first time he hits gee gee stutters and and talks you know like how bobby talks through the movie um, they have the announcers say that there's pain and shame in the eyes of Bobby when he's playing, which could mean a lot of things. But also, you know, this is him learning to be violent and hurting other people for his gain and his team's gain. There's a lot to be said about the violence in the movie. And in fact, if if football was a little better, I think that personally, I don't have an issue with violence when it's agreed upon. I think like MMA is fun to watch um, because they agree and there's rules. I think football can be fun to watch, but I do think that it ruins a lot of people's lives too. The monetization of this eh, leaves me irked a little at times. Like I had a, a young man work for me who got three or four concussions in his first few years of college. And then in his senior year, when he was basically about to be he could have been a household name. He got another concussion and was never allowed to play again. He also was supposed to go another year, um, be a five-year college student, and he no longer had a scholarship. Like, that's how they treat college students, that if they can't play anymore. That's reflected in the movie. When the crowd learns that Bobby cannot play anymore, they instantly turn on him. This leaves him very lonely. It, it keeps him in a very bad place. And in fact, his ability to play in the NCAA is tied to his ability to go to college too. Those things are, are linked in the movie. We also see in the beginning, in the first football game, he tries so, so hard and he is not rewarded for his efforts and he is punished heavily for his failures in terms of the the interactions he gets with the other players they don't high five him when they score and when they lose because of something that he did put all the blame on him even though they would have never been in the situation where they had a chance to win without him it's also tied to his work as a water boy too we can also see the hierarchy with the university of louisiana showing power over the south central louisiana state university so there are a lot of hierarchies going on and that's all not to mention that bobby lives with his mama in the middle of the bayou in a shack in a rundown shack and they eat squirrel that gets electrified in their bug zapper they eat stuff that they can catch out in the swamp also they have a pet mule who i just realized is a symbol of lack of fertility i wonder if that's anything i want to talk about clint howard and my favorite alan covert's characters they are in the crowd during several scenes um specifically as townies i guess technically rob schneider is called townie but they're also supposed to be townies. They comment on this type of thing throughout the movie. They're supposed to be Southern Hicks. Alan Covert has big fake teeth in, um, and they talk in outlandish, stupid ways, basically. And they are a constant foil about when 
things are going well, they like Guy, and then when Bobby starts doing well, they like Bobby, and then they turn on a dime, and they have uh, Clint Howard's character say something along the lines of, uh, He says, I am not what you would call a handsome man. I'm not attractive or smart or charming. And then he says, you're an inspiration to all of us who weren't born handsome, charming, or cool. And he cries. And this has a little, I think, to do with sports fandom and how we perceive these people who you know, a lot of people are like, you know, they're making millions of dollars and they're not even going to have a real job. I wish I could make millions of dollars to play a game, not realizing the absolute torture most athletes go through to stay up with that. But if you want to see how communities and people react to when athletes step down when they don't have to go look at like Andrew Luck walked out before last year due to having a bunch of massive injuries and not being able to recover fast enough he decided to give up football he's already a multi-millionaire he doesn't need the money and people lost their minds being angry at him athletes get so much flack just in general I mean look at Kaepernick I mean he tried to stand up for science and everyone hates him you're not allowed to be a person you're only tied to your sport and Gatorade that's what you're tied to but I think we're going to talk about product placement in a later episode speaking of product placement that would be a great segue if we had ads wouldn't it (laughs) i want to talk about the connection to happy gilmore happy gilmore is also about hierarchy and class happy gilmore doesn't touch on themes of of religion but it definitely touches on these themes of of anger and using that to fuel an athletic ability and i just think it's interesting that those two sports movies kind of have the same the same central plot one person who whose entire identity is tied to one aspect for bobby it is being a water boy for happy it's being a hockey player but they learn that they're good at a different sport because they have a lot of power they're an underdog and they use emotion to to focus that i just think that those are interesting parallels uh sandler is definitely tied to the he's very drawn to these underdog stories i also think that anger is tied to comedy it's played for jokes a lot there's a lot of very famous comedians who are only using anger even the quote-unquote person who found adam sandler as a comedian dennis miller is known for his anger and actually also is talking about sports and politics so i wonder what about weird but anger fuels a lot of what a lot of people do (laughs) justifiable rage i mean it fuels most of the decisions and uh healthy living habits i've had in my life is proving people wrong by doing stuff that's good but too much anger is a trait of toxic masculinity and so often Men are taught that the only emotion that is okay for them to express is anger. And since so many of these movies have dealt with masculinity, I think that's certainly worth saying. Speaking about masculinity, do you know what movie we're watching tomorrow? It is Big Daddy. But anyhow, the reason I chose the quote at the beginning, are men supposed to wear pajamas featuring a cartoon character by the name of Deputy Dog, is because it really tied in all the themes we wanted to talk about criticizing some, what someone wears is something that's often seen in religious aspects towards different communities. And it's his mom who insults him based on what he wears. Interesting. It shows his struggle with understanding, I guess, what quote unquote he's supposed to be as a man. And it shows one thing that all horror villains have, and that is a costume. And even though in this movie it is different colored suits. <laughs> Maybe a deputy dog pajamas is the real horror film movie thing. I don't know. It's the new inside out William Shatner mask. You can find our podcast on Twitter at Laugh at Him Pod, and you can also find our games at wannabegames.com. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash wannabegames, where if you support, you'll be not only supporting this podcast, but also our work as game designers. Once we're done with this, we're going to make something. T- and uh, if you support us, you can help decide what that something is, whether we go game or script or more podcasts. Yeah. You can find me specifically at at Joska. And you can find me at Kitty Crusade. Please take my wife. Ooh, that was like a Shatner reading of it. I was trying to because we mentioned Shatner. (laughs) 